Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and the clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Ben Levno from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a testing-focused interview with Dr. McEwen. Thanks for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today, we'll be discussing updates to several of our autoimmune panels with Dr. Andrew McKeown. Before we get started talking about the panels, Dr. McKeown, could you provide a little background about yourself and your role here at Mayo Clinic? Sure. Uh, so I'm a neurologist and I'm also board certified in clinical laboratory immunology. And I co-direct the neuromonology laboratory along with uh, Sean Piddock and John Mills. And uh, we do uh, testing for autoimmune neurological diseases by measuring antibodies. And we do this for uh, a diverse array of neurological phenotypes, some associated with cancer that we call perineoplastic disorders and others that are autoimmune diseases of unknown cause. Great, thanks Dr. McKeown. I think it's important for our audience to know that you're both seeing patients and working in the lab, which helps us at Mayo Clinic to have a real understanding of what patients and physicians need to get an accurate diagnosis. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. We very much shape our clinical evaluations and approach to diagnosing patients based on clinical common sense derived from our own experience working, uh, seeing patients with various neurological problems that come into the clinic and then trying to work from there as to figure out what the cause of that neurological problem is. Exactly. And I think that's probably a good segue into what we're going to talk about today. We're making several changes to our autoimmune panels based upon our research. I know there's a lot of panels that are impacted, Dr. McKeown, but could you give an overview, maybe talk about in general what changes are happening so that our audience gets an understanding of you know, what's going to change? What we're essentially doing is to try to streamline a number of the evaluations to remove autoantibodies that are less specific for a particular phenotype. And that is actually resulting in us uh, removing anti-calcin channel antibodies and striational antibodies altogether from our evaluations. Now, this is not to say that these biomarkers haven't been useful over time. It's just that as time has evolved, we've had more experience with these and we've had the ability to study the, these antibodies in large groups of patients. And this isn't a kind of a process that just started kind of today or yesterday. This is something we've been working on for many years. Uh, we've published extensively on a number of what we would call ion channel antibodies or receptor antibodies that are detected by immunoprecipitation assays, a number of antibodies, including N-type calcium channel antibodies, PQ-type calcium channel antibodies, acetylcholine receptor binding antibody alpha-1 subtype, which is pertinent to myasthenia gravis, and also the alpha-3 ganglionic acetylcholine receptor antibody, and then also one that we detect by ELISA, which is striational antibody. The idea here really is, is to try to use the data that we have already to determine which ones are most relevant to the particular neurological phenotype the patient presents with. So for example, if we took PQ calcium channel antibody, that's in a number of our evaluations, but we've found over time that the ones that 
we feel that it should still be included in is Lambert-Eaton evaluation, of course, because that's the most important biomarker of that disorder in the immunology lab. And also movement disorders, because we see patients with autoimmune ataxia who have that antibody as well. If we were to, say, focus on kind of other autoantibodies, uh, like the anti-calcium channel antibody, that sometimes accompanies the PQ anti-calcium channel antibody. Um, it has been reported to have some cancer significance when it's found with that. We really found looking at large numbers of patients over time that it, it doesn't help significantly move the dial on that. Um, so that's one that we're eliminating. Similarly, with the alpha-3 ganglionic antibody, that's a very important biomarker in patients with dysautonomia and in patients with isolated GI dysmotility. But it has been in many other evaluations over time. But again, with our data that we've accumulated over the years, we found that really the positive predictive value for either an autoimmune disease or cancer is low in patients with other neurological phenotypes. So you might kind of ask, okay, well, why this change of heart? Why are we doing this? You could kind of really go either direction with this. And so in laboratory immunology in general, there is an acceptance that a lot of autoantibodies have low specificity and particular groups of physicians handle these kinds of biomarkers differently. So for example, anti-nuclear antibody in rheumatology is known to have low specificity. But everybody accepts that that's the way it is, and but people don't overinterpret it too much or act on that in kind of an inappropriate way, but use it to kind of to build a picture in certain patients with, say, lupus type phenotypes or inflammatory arthritis type phenotypes. In neurology, that really hasn't worked out too well. Our general thrust over the years has been, well, it's probably better to have more biomarkers than less, and we give very directed interpretations on, say, low positive ion channel antibodies. But where we've kind of seen over time that really neurologists tend to treat test results uh, in immunology a little bit like people treat genetic test results, meaning that it's either there or it's not there. And um, we've seen kind of a lot of practices in relation to low positive antibodies that really over time have made us think that probably we should rather than just having them there as clues, probably to eliminate them, except for patients with very specific neurological phenotypes where we know that that's phenotype relevant. So that's kind of the, the state of play. But, you know, honestly, you could kind of go either direction with this in many respects. But I think we have to kind of be responsive to our clients and to what people are, are needing for their practices. Right. Thanks for that comprehensive answer, Dr. McEwen. I want to go back and maybe just parse out a, a couple of those answers to make sure that our audience understands all the details. You said that the primary antibodies that are being removed are calcium channel, striations, you said an alpha-3 antibodies. Are, are those the primary ones that we're removing from most panels, or did I miss a couple? Those are the main ones. In fact, striational and anti-calcium channel antibody are being obsoleted altogether from all our evaluations. But then, say, the alpha-3 antibody has been a, a number of our CNS evaluations over time, and, and that has been removed from those evaluations and really just being left in very specifically autonomic relevant evaluations. Great. So our audience will be able to see on our website a chart of which up panels are going to include which of these antibodies, but it sounds like a couple are being removed entirely. And then a couple of the other ones, the alpha-3 and, of course, PQ and Lambert-Eaton and movement disorder are going to stick around because they're specific to that phenotype, but they're being removed from the other panels, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so like I say, PQ is staying with, obviously, with Lambert-Eaton and with ataxia, but 
is not going to be across a number of other evaluations like uh, encephalopathy or myelopathy anymore because we just haven't had we haven't had much luck with kind of really kind of finding cases where that particular autoantibody positivity in that phenotype gave a lot of clarity. And then you also did a really good job of explaining kind of why now, but I just want you to elaborate a little bit more if you could on some of the risks and rewards. I mean, you said that it could go either way. There is some value in keeping these tests in, which is what we've done for a long time, but why did we decide to remove them now? And are you worried about anything in the future, the way our panels will be designed when these antibodies are removed? You could kind of draw an analogy with maybe thyroid antibodies in, in encephalopathy. And so what we found is that while that biomarker can be a clue to somebody having autoimmune encephalitis, our data that we're about to publish in Brain Communications has, has demonstrated that really in the cases that were ultimately determined to be autoimmune and immunotherapy responses had other clues. They didn't have neural antibodies, that's why the thyroid antibody was kind of focused in on by the clinician. But having an abnormal EEG, inflammatory looking MRI, inflammatory spinal fluid, or even having abnormal thyroid chemical function, these kinds of things actually were the real biomarkers of that really kind of helped make the decisions. And we found that more often than not, patients who just had thyroid antibodies and symptoms without those other features, they tended to get overtreated. They tended to have received a lot of corticosteroid treatment and other things. So I think that really, by analogy, we're dealing with the same situation with some of these ion channel antibodies, where we're testing for them in phenotypes for which they were not originally described. And we think just think that that era has kind of come and gone. It doesn't give us enough positive predictive value for cancer. It doesn't give us enough positive or negative predictive value for an autoimmune neurological disease. And so generally, we're kind of encouraging people, if your patient is seronegative, there are a couple of things you can do. One is you can contact the lab and say, are there any research antibodies that haven't been included in this profile that you could test for additionally for us? Are there any unclassified antibodies you saw in indirect immunofluorescence that are specific for brain tissue? And thirdly is, is that you can just try and build out the picture with other features like a subacute onset of symptoms, abnormal imaging that looks like inflammation, other inflammatory markers in the spinal fluid like oligoclonal bands or elevated IgG index, or an abnormal EEG supportive of kind of an encephalopathic kind of picture, you know, and so, or indeed on an EMG looking for kinds of things like cramp fasciculation or neuromuscular junction disorder, you know, so there, there are lots of other ways to kind of make this diagnosis. So these antibodies are companion diagnostics that are very helpful, but even before this, we would have very clearly stated that being antibody negative does not rule out an autoimmune disorder. A lot of thinking has to be put in by the doctor in terms of, okay, what is this? It's not just as simple anyway as ordering a test an antibody result comes back and we treat the antibody. That's just not the way this works. Right. I think your ability to relate to the physicians that are listening to this is critical, sir. And for me, a huge takeaway in this change is how Mayo Clinic has been leading the field for years on phenotype-specific testing. So this is just another step in that direction where we're reiterating to our audience and physicians in general that it's important that we pick the right test. So can you talk about ways that Mayo Clinic is partnering and available to help physicians pick the right test to make sure that they're getting the antibodies needed and in the right context? First of all, this has been very much kind of a, a slowly evolving journey from us just having a perineoplastic evaluation to kind of cover everything. The problem with that was that a lot of the antibodies that have been added to that over time had kind of 
gradually diminishing levels of paraneoplastic significance. So that was a problem. And then secondly, because there are so many autoantibody biomarkers, it really didn't make sense to just lump them all into one evaluation anymore. So it certainly the paraneoplastic evaluation has served its time, but over time, yeah, we, we're, we've just been gradually evolving into, okay, this should be neurological phenotype driven. And the idea would be over time to gradually eliminate the paraneoplastic evaluation. We understand that can't happen overnight for a number of different reasons. Also, oncologists tend to use uh, that evaluation in patients who have an established cancer and then get neurological problems during treatment. And we will have some upcoming cancer-specific evaluations um, with limited numbers of antibodies for, for those folks. Yeah, so over time, we've just kind of gradually built out that profile. I think that in terms of resources, there are a number of resources about the evaluations themselves on the Mayo Clinic Laboratories website. We've published extensively on all of the, the biomarkers that we offer, and you can derive from those publications their clinical utility. And that includes the antibodies that we're now planning to eliminate from a number of evaluations. So there's papers dating back several years now related to striational PQNN alpha-3 that really kind of spell out the limitations of those tests in, you know, outside of specific phenotypes and, and cancer associations. In addition, then, there is also the phone call or email option to specifically discuss cases and to assist in interpretation. Our interpretations that we send out with the results are very much tailored for the clinician in terms of neurological association, cancer association, any potential pitfalls with a positive result. But also then we're always available Monday to Friday to discuss the, uh, those. And then there's one of us available over the weekend uh, if there's ever kind of a, an urgent situation. And that's just a matter of contacting the lab. Staff will put you in touch with one of us. And like we said, you're seeing patients, so you can empathize more than anyone with uh, the, the difficulties associated with these patients and what tests to order and what to do with those results. And Mayo Clinic has also, just in case our audience isn't aware, has created an entire menu focused on disease specific. You know, we have encephalopathy, dementia, epilepsy, movement disorder panels to make it easier because we recognize that the research is constantly teaching us new things about what antibodies are relevant in which kind of panels. Right, Dr. McKeown? That's correct. So maybe to wrap up, Dr. McKeown, can you just share with our listeners what you're most excited about or maybe the key takeaway for physicians that have used Mayo's testing and maybe are apprehensive about these changes or, or maybe someone that hasn't ordered Mayo Clinic's testing before, but you know these changes could be an opening for them to utilize Mayo Clinic's resources. Sure. So these changes are really, they're not a radical change by any means. This is something that's kind of been evolving over time in terms of us collecting data, really kind of drilling down on kind of the significance of test results in different phenotypes. And we're really just uh, recalibrating our evaluations to make sure that what's in there is going to be of the highest clinical utility for our providers. Great. I think some of our listeners may be worried about price changes and Mayo Clinic stance has always been that our price for these panels is going to remain consistent, whether we add or take away antibodies. And so our prices won't be changing. But in the near future, we have several new antibodies on the horizon that will be added that also won't impact the price of these panels. So that thing will remain consistent. Is there anything you want to add about antibodies on the horizon that will be added to our panels, Dr. McKeown? Sure. I think there's just a fairly steady stream of things coming along. 
largely based on kind of our, our own in-house discoveries, uh, whether that's the Kelch-like 11 antibody in brainstem encephalitis ataxia, mainly in, in men with seminoma, but uh, sometimes in women also. Then in the ataxia space also, a number of the septin antibodies, the doctor protein 3B2 antibody. So there are a number of things that, are, that we're working on right now that will uh, continue to populate into our evaluations uh, through 21, 22. Yeah, really exciting. And I think it's all, you know, helping to make the job of the physician easier by just adding them into panels so that they don't have to pick and choose the antibodies that are most relevant. So thanks so much for helping us understand the changes that are upcoming to these autoimmune panels. And we're available as a resource anytime, like you mentioned. So I look forward to reaching out again to talk about those upcoming updates. Thanks, Dr. McKeown. Okay, thanks very much, Ben. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.